Um, you guys know Carly? Carly is going to review our passage this morning. And uh, I wasn't going to do this, but I decided I'm going to. I've known Carly for since she was a freshman in high school. And uh, I'm really thankful for what God's done in her life, um, especially over this last year. And um, I just want to publicly say that I love you. Isn't she sweet? Um, and now she's discipling and all kinds of stuff. And ah, So good. So I'm going to let her read this passage. So go ahead and turn to Romans 16. Actually, uh, yeah, you're starting in verse 1, right? Is that where I told you to start? Okay, so verse 1 of chapter 16. And be ready. Have your notebooks out. we got a lot to cover today. We are finishing Romans today. All right. I'm going to click this. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is in Sancria, that you receive her in the Lord, as become a saint, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a circer of many, and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Ephanatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Jania, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners, who were of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ. And Stachus, my beloved. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute them that are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodian, my kinsmen. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Perses, which labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Salute Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philologus and Julia, Neras and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. God, I didn't think I was going to get through that, Lord. (laughs) I praise you, and you're just so good, and everything that Van was saying has been so in line with where my heart's been, um, and my burden, Lord. And I pray that there's a lot of people here, Lord, somebody hasn't considered their eternal fate, Lord, and I pray that they would do that, God, and that... um, they think about death and that's a weird thing and a scary thing to think about Lord but it's coming and we don't know when Lord so I pray for salvation today and I pray for Brandon's time in the word um, Lord and I pray that you help him with the rest of the names (laughs) sorry (laughs) but Lord um, I pray that you would set him aside God and um, you're here you're near just like Van was saying God and I pray that we accept that um and we have that expectation today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The uh, reason I actually had her 
read that passage is because she's smarter than me and better at reading. I knew that going into it. So, um, all right. So I also I want to take a minute to thank Alex for preaching last week. Appreciate that, brother. Um, is that message up online yet? What's the matter? What's going on? Where's that message at? I want to hear it. Um, so. Uh, I just am, I'm really grateful for the fact that there's so many guys in here that I can count on to preach and uh, that can step into the pulpit when I'm gone. My family was on vacation and that was a good time for us. We needed to get away, but it, it's hard not being here. And so uh, it's good to be back with you guys today. Um, you know, a funny story. Funny story. It's always good to start with a funny story. You know. Um, so this morning I step into main service and I sit down and I'm worshiping. Worship starts. And Chris Miller comes and taps me on the shoulder and says, Hey, you're preaching this morning, right? I said, Yeah, what do you mean? And he's like, Well, in Faith Fellowship, you're preaching this morning, right? I'm like, Oh, yeah. I am preaching in Faith Fellowship this morning. <laughs> And I forgot that I was preaching. Now, now it wasn't forgetful like like I knew yesterday that I was preaching. I just forgotten today when I got here. I was busy running around. So um, I got to, clay, to class where I thought was late. Right? I walk in there. I'm like, I'm going to be late. And uh, no, uh, Dell's class starts like 20 minutes later than all of the other services. So I was, it was like perfect. Um, but I'm, I'm preaching. I got two different messages, which I have to adjust to. I've, I've only done that a couple times where I've got two messages and I'm preaching back to back. So pray for clarity of thought if you don't mind. And I need you guys to be super attentive. Today's message isn't like, uh, I wouldn't call it particularly easy. Uh, content. And so we need to be very aware and sober and trusting that, that God has something for us from Romans chapter 16, which we are going to be finishing out Romans uh, today. So I'm excited about that. All right. So we can move on. I think we're going to be doing Acts. So be ready for that. The last time we were together, which is two weeks ago, uh, in Romans chapter 16, we were discussing this idea of ministering to ministers. You remember that? Uh, our responsibility as believers uh, to minister to one another, particularly when the heat of the battle uh, is on and things get difficult and we see that someone else is in need. We need to come alongside them and be willing to minister and refresh and edify the brethren. So, uh, we pose the question, how is it that we meet the needs of those who are striving with us in ministry? How are we encouraging and strengthening the hand of our fellow servants? In Romans 16, the Apostle Paul takes time to recognize 27 different people and even, and even mentions what makes them unique and special to them. Right? Isn't that great? So like the last part of this letter, he, he just spends it talking about all the people that have ministered to him. And it's all different types of people doing all different types of things and ministering to him in all different types of ways. But the commonality among each of these people is that they were a refreshment and encouragement to him. Some were co-laborers, some were protectors, some shared their homes with Paul, some shared a jail cell with Paul. 
Some suffered alongside of him. Some were simply full of faith on his behalf. All these different types of people ministering in all these different uh, types of ways, exemplifying this idea that as the church, we're supposed to be fitly joined together. Right? Living with one another, ministering to one another. It made me think of a story. I didn't think about it last time. Let's turn to uh, Nehemiah 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. Keep your finger in Romans. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and start reading it, and you can get there as, as you have opportunity. Verse 15 says, and it came to, you guys know what's happening in Nehemiah right there? They're wanting to rebuild Jerusalem. Uh, uh, the Israelites have been captive for a really long time, right? And uh, they've just been given permission to go back into their homeland, back into Jerusalem, and rebuild. And they're beginning there with the wall. They're rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem to protect it, okay? Because they, they have enemies. And uh, they're making some progress here. Right? And this is where we're kind of at in the story. There's some progress being made in Nehemiah chapter 4. Verse 15 says, And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we, we returned all of us to the wall, everyone unto his work. In other words, um, the plan of the enemy to attack had been foiled, and so the, the Israelites went back to working on the wall. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants... Uh, wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the haberdons, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judas. You see that picture there? You've got half of the people are working on the wall, okay? And the other half are protecting them. What a beautiful illustration for us, right? Standing guard for one another. They which build it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so builded, and he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I said unto the nobles, and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, The work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall, one far from another. In that place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us, our God shall fight for us. Okay, so you see the picture here? Is that in the midst of the work, as the, the uh, wall began to be built out, the workers began to be separated by the work itself, right? The wall started getting bigger, uh, they had to spread out, they had different things that they needed to do, and the workers that were also the soldiers began to be more separated along the wall. And the fear was was that their separation would put them in jeopardy. You understand? And so the key was to sound a horn. And so this concern, they, they, they took the concern and they um, uh, determined that they were going to be in communication with each other. So, so we labored in the work and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Likewise, at the same time, said I unto the people that everyone with his servant lodged with, uh, within Jerusalem, that in the night they might be a guard to us and labor on the day. So neither I nor my brethren nor my servants nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes, saving that everyone put them off for washing. In other words, that when people are ministering to one another and their care is for one another and their concern is for one another, nothing needs to be lost in the work. Right? And this was the, the major point that we addressed last time we were together. Here it is. The work of ministry is only as strong as our ministry to one another. The work of the ministry that God has given us to seek and save the lost and to disciple them and prepare them to lead others to Christ, that work 
is only as strong as our ministry is to one another. And it's only as good as our looking out for one another, having each other's back, right? In other words, we must fight for unity. We must fight to prefer one another over ourselves. Do you see another brother or sister striving in the work? In what ways are you refreshing them? See, Kaya has to be a ministry of young adults who care about other people in this work more than we care about ourselves. And in so doing, we will be the gap. Right? We will bridge it. We will lay down our lives. We will love one another. But we have to see one another. We have to see one another striving. That's the beginning of serving each other. It's to be aware, to be circumspect. Now, today, Paul takes us in a little bit different direction. Paul takes some time in the closing of this letter to combat false teaching in the church. Ah, so fun. Yeah, that sounds fun. (laughs) But he recognizes a need to protect the truths that were taught by Christ and were handed down to the apostles. So it seems, it seems strange that he would be switching directions here a little bit. Right? Where he's talking about ministering to one another and having each other's back. And then suddenly shift gears to address false teachers. But the truth is the two things go hand in hand, don't they? Right? The work of ministering to one another has to also be to protect one another from false teachers. And because I'm telling you right now that they're, that they're ever present with us, false teachers. And a lot of times we like to think about false teachers as cultists, right? We like to think about them as, uh, as oh, I don't know, uh, you know, the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses, right? That's been traditionally, that's how we think about the false teachers. But even in our midst every day on a Sunday morning, we have false teachers that are here present with us. And they're looking for itching ears, and they're looking for opportunities to teach their particular view. And this is what we've got to talk about. Okay, This is what the text is telling us to talk about, and this is what we have to talk about. Here's our key point, and then we're going to pray and get into it. Here's the first key point, and basically the umbrella of everything that we're going to talk about this morning. Key point number one. Defending truth is defending the lives and the ministry of God's people. Defending the truths and the doctrines of Scripture is defending the lives and the ministry of God's people. Okay? I'm going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank You again for this time. Um, Thank You for Your Word. Uh, Thank You that it dictates to me what needs to be preached. Uh, Because a lot of times there's stuff that I come in contact with that... In and of myself, uh, of myself, I wouldn't want to preach. Just things that are hard. Uh, but Lord, um, preaching through a book like this forces us all to address the truths that You lay before us. And, and so God, I just pray that we would rise to the challenge today. Uh, that we as learners of Your Word, as Christians who are determined to be disciples, uh, that Lord, we would be very, very aware of what Your Word says and that we'd be able to apply it to our lives and steer people the right direction, that they wouldn't fall prey to false teachings, false doctrines. The Lord, that we would be dead set on believing You at Your Word and living according to that. Uh, we need You this morning. Uh, speak through me. Put me aside. Um, we love You. In Jesus' name, Amen. So Paul... Uh, so the, the, the name of today's message is the minister's warning. 
Alright? The minister's warning. Paul wrote his letter to the Romans with the intent that he present with them basic doctrinal truths about their salvation and their lifestyle in Jesus. Okay? And we've reviewed this so many times. A lot of you that are here week to week, they're like, okay, I get it. I get what Romans is about. But for the sake of finishing strong, let's remind ourselves, what is Romans about? So Paul writes this letter from Corinth okay, to the church in Rome. The church in Rome doesn't at this point have any apostles present with them. Okay, They've been handed down the word. They have basic knowledge of what salvation is. But there are doctrines that are creeping in and they have questions, lots of questions. And Paul writes the letter to set those questions straight. He wants to make sure that they understand the gospel for everything that it is. And so the first half of this letter is just extrapolating what is salvation? What is sin? What is forgiveness? What is justification in the sight of God? And then as we move throughout the letter, it leads us more to the topic of character and how we conduct ourselves in ministry and in church. And that's kind of where we've been. And now here we are. We're closing. Now, he was teaching in order to clarify the gospel gospel and provide them with clear doctrine. Look at what he says in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, which you know we once did, we obeyed sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of uh, the servants of ye who were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Now I want you to focus in here on verse 17. And what he's t- telling them is that though they were once servants of sin, but because they obeyed from their heart the form of doctrine that was delivered to them, they've been set free from their sin and have been made righteous. Are you following me? That's what he says. Paul associates adherence to doctrine. Meaning, when we talk about doctrine, when we say the word doctrine, it's a fancy word of saying, uh, for saying divine truths, godly truths. Okay? And what he says here is that, that Their adherence to doctrine is what saved them and set them free in the first place and made them servants of righteousness. So here's the deal. In a biblical economy, in a biblical economy, key point two, faithful obedience of doctrine is the difference between a lost person and a Christian. Okay, so that's true for our salvation, isn't it? To be saved, to be set free from our sin, to live for Jesus Christ, and to be able to call ourselves a Christian, we had to at some point adhere to the doctrines, the form of doctrine that was handed down to us even from Christ Himself, from the apostles. Does this make sense? So faithful obedience of doctrine is the difference between a lost person and a Christian. Now listen to me. This is of so much importance, and this is a, a, a point that you have to get. Okay, because we have more people today calling themselves Christian, right? But refusing to acknowledge the whole of Scripture than perhaps ever before. We have more people who want to call themselves Christian and say so with passivity. 
who refuse to acknowledge that from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, the Word of God is true in whole. We have people like that more than ever before. Now these types of people, we'll get into this, that believe this way and think this way have existed from the first century. This is nothing new, right? But we have to recognize it for 2018. We have to recognize it for the culture that we're in right now. We have to be aware of it. Because this letter to the Romans is not just for the Romans, it's for us. It is for us. And we need to glean from it. You know, uh, it made me think when I was writing this, it made me think about uh, even the, the, the fathers of this nation. Uh, a lot of times we like to celebrate Thomas Jefferson, right? Now he's on the hot list right now. <laughs> I don't know if you stay up with the news, right? But he is on the hot list because, uh, because of his issues with slavery and rape and, uh, and his hidden uh, wives and all these things. But listen to me, uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson, uh, you used to like to talk about how the Bible provided our country with a moral compass. But a lot of you guys didn't know that Thomas Jefferson actually had his own version of Scripture. Yeah? He created his own version uh, where he took all of the things that he liked from the Bible and condensed them down into the Thomas Jefferson version of Scripture. I don't know if you knew this or not. But he eliminated all of what he would call, refer to as the fairy tales and doctrines that he just didn't like. And he took them out and he actually created. He was Thomas Jefferson. He had clout. He could make his own Bible. Right? Um, but he created his own Scripture that he chose to adhere to. Now, guys, listen, this isn't any different than what people do in their Christianity today. They choose to neglect and forget, and they choose to refuse things in the Bible. And I want to tell you right now, if you don't receive the Bible in whole, how do you receive it in part? How do you, how do you determine what it is that you're going to receive and what you're not? This is the major question, isn't it? Now listen, as we get into it, I want to make it clear that Christians are called to function under the premise that Scripture is divine truth and must be adhered to. It must be. Christians, and listen, and Jews before them have always been obligated to believe the Holy Scriptures. Now here's the question for us. is Why? Why, why believe? Now, I'm not going to be able to get into this a whole lot, but if you're interested in this topic, I preached about it at the, uh, what would be the spring retreat, right? Our spring retreat, you can get on Kaya's site, you can go back and listen to the spring retreat messages, I address this, but just by way of review, and for those of you who aren't there, we believe the Bible is truth for many different reasons, okay? And I'm going to present just a few of them to you right now, okay? The first one is the seamless complexity of Scripture, we believe that the Bible is truth. It's divine truth handed down to humanity because it's a seamless complexity. We've got 66 books written by 44 authors over 1,600 years, and it contains no contradictions. Now you've like, well, wait, 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 wait. Okay, well, we could talk about the, the apparent contradictions that you might believe are there in Scripture. They're all very easily explained. Right? Using basic Bible study principles. We could do that. We don't have time for that today. But I want to point out something to you that's, that's phenomenal about the Bible. Is the fact that it was written by so many different people 
over such an expanse of time from different cultures and backgrounds, and yet they're all talking about the same exact topics, and these topics seem to fit together perfectly. Now that's particularly bizarre since in this room, none of us agree the same on any one topic. We could sit down and be interviewed about any one topic and none of us would be in agreement about, about the details of those things. And yet here we have uh, 66 books that function seamlessly with one another, written by different people who didn't have access to one another at different times, speaking almost synonymously. Pretty amazing. That is a huge evidence to us that the Bible is divine truth. The other thing is the fulfillment of prophecy, right? So just of Jesus Christ alone, we have 330 Old Testament prophecies. Right? 330. Now the amazing thing about that is that so many of them were so clearly fulfilled in the person of Jesus, Jesus Christ that we cannot deny the fact that the men that wrote those prophecies had divine insight into the coming Messiah. We cannot get around that. The math alone supports it. Uh, some of you may have heard this, but the, uh, the mathematical uh, uh, likelihood that eight basic prophecies be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, eight of them, not 338, uh, in one man is 10 to the 27th power. One over, the fraction is one over 10 to the 27th power. It's impossible and here we have 330 prophecies about Jesus Christ. Pretty amazing. The Bible is divine. The other part is the volume of witnesses that we have. In the lives of its followers, the truths of Scripture have been worth dying for. In other words, in the very first century, all right, the truths that the apostles and the church fathers held to, those tr truths for them were worth giving their lives for. Now, 2,000 years removed from that, we still have Christians today that are constantly laying their lives down for the basic truths of Scripture. Now, that might be uh, observational information. It's not as empirical as the other. But to me, that has weight. That this many people, for this long of time, have been willing to lay their lives down for such basic truths is phenomenal. And it points to the truths contained within the book. Lastly, the uniqueness of its teachings. It separates itself from other belief systems so clearly. See, most if not all religious belief systems are built on laws. Okay? And works-based systems. We could talk about Buddhism or Islam or all these other things. And what you have at the heart of them is a series of rules that you must follow in order to gain God's favor... And if you gain God's favor, then He will give you access to the divine beyond whatever that might be within that religious system. Okay? But biblical Christianity separates itself so far from that. It's diametrically different in that we cannot achieve the earning of God's favor. We just can't do it. It's, impo it's an impossibility. You were wicked and filthy and nasty. And you hated God and didn't even know it. This is what the Bible teaches us. And what we learn from Scripture is that our faith, through the grace of the blood of Jesus Christ, our faith in Him, simple faith, a decision to believe and make Him Lord, sets us free from the bondage of the laws of this world. 
from the rules and the religions and the stamping and being perfect all the time, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ loves us and nothing can separate us from that love. We can know that. That makes Christianity unique. So with these evidences in mind, this is just a handful, the Bible becomes more than a book to us. It becomes authoritative and separates itself from other teachings and other teachers. So then, listen very carefully, so then, the eternal truth of God, right, which is esoteric and abstract and mysterious and unknowable and distant and cold and lonely those things about God those abstract things those esoteric things take on the form of written words in a book tangible, discernible and practical and this is the, this is the Bible's witness of itself you know why I believe the Bible? Because the Bible says it's true. Now you could call me foolish, but you know I think Jesus is on the side of foolish. At least that's what the Bible says. Okay? So if you want to call that a logical infallibility, or a, a fallibility, well I want, to, I want to tell you that the evidences are actually deep. And this book is divine. And it's been given to me. So let's talk about what the Bible says about itself. I mean, we haven't even gotten into Romans yet, so I apologize for that. We're getting there. Yeah? Okay. So first of all, God's Word was delivered to apostles to deliver to the churches. That was its intent. Truths came from God, from the abstract, from the beyond, the, the mysterious realm of God, and came down to men so that it might be delivered to the churches and the followers of Jesus Christ. Second Peter one twenty one says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this cause also, we thank, uh, also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, the apostles spoke it, the, Thessalonians, uh, the Thessalonians heard it, they received it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Okay, so it's important for us to understand that these truths were handed down to men from God and delivered to the church. And this is the tradition. If we want to talk about tradition, people like to talk about tradition. This is the tradition that we follow. Okay? Also, written scripture was understood from the first century to be divine. The Bible consistently makes the words of God and the written scriptures synonymous with each other. Right? Constantly, over and over again. Jesus himself repeatedly declares the written words of Scripture as divine and requiring our belief. John 7.38 says, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And Jesus does this over and over again in the Gospels, where he's pointing back to Scripture, and he's calling the people to believe the Scriptures so that they might have faith and salvation. Even the New Testament apostles 
understood that the writings that, they, that, that some of the apostles were writing, they understood them to be Scripture. 2 Peter 3.14. Are you guys hanging with me? I'm moving fast. But i got to get to Romans 16. It's coming. Second, let's do it. 2 Peter... That was encouraging. Thank you. Um, you got very like... Did you play sports? No. I was like right out of a huddle somewhere. Let's do it. Okay. Okay, Second Peter three fourteen. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that ye may, ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Now listen, this is Peter talking about the writings of Paul. Are you ready? Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to wisdom, given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which, you, uh, uh, in which are some things hard to be understood, which, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures. No one's amazed by that. You guys are like, your jaws should be open. Okay, like you should be taking that in, soaking that in. That the apostles understood that the documents that they were writing, the epistles that they were writing, were given by God. Prophetic insight. And they knew, contemporaneously, that they had the words of God written down. Pretty awesome. Okay, now, not just written down, but written down and intended to be studied. They weren't just written down to be passively acknowledged, like most Christians do today. They were written down that they might be studied and studied to be lived. Yeah. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The scriptures were intended to be rested in. Right? Rested in, acknowledged, studied, divided. That's what it was that's what they were given to us for. And in the times really in our world where the word of God was least accessible, the most wicked things in the world were perpetrated. We won't get into that. The Bible's teachings compel us and call us to faith. So when the integrity of the Bible is not upheld, then the church will falter, it will stumble, and eventually it will fail in its dispensation. And this is why Satan has always been attacking truth. He's always just been attacking truth. So key point number three. Truth has been and always will be under attack. Yeah? I missed you guys. I'm really excited to be here. I hope you're. I hope you're as excited as me. Sometimes it's hard to tell. Thank you. Truth has always been and always will be under attack. You know, Jesus speaking to the religious leaders in John 8:44 says the following, and this is a, this is damning information here. Okay, uh, it's damning both to Satan. I like to say Satan like that. Satan. <laughs> uh, 
but also to humanity. So listen carefully what Jesus, the words of Jesus are here. You of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and bode not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan lies. And, and, and really, the, the children, the offspring of Satan lie. When we lie, and when we don't live in truth, and we don't acknowledge truth, we're in a very real way defending and making room for satanic work. I don't know how to get around that, guys. That's just true. And it has always been true. In a world of of spin, it's very difficult to make sense of our reality. From uh, From the news that we watch to our classrooms where our professors teach and even in personal conversations among one another, among peers it's difficult to decipher what is true and what isn't how often have you been in a conversation with a friend where you walked away and you did not understand their intent it's very easy to be misunderstood or even just present mistruths this is the world that we live in human beings by their very nature tend to present information in such a way that benefits their own agenda Now, you've got to admit that that's true about you. Don't we all do that? We present information in a way that benefits ourselves. See, humans want to be the smartest, the most informed, the most liked, the most prominent. Because of this, they tend to be self-serving in the way uh, that they talk and and the way that they teach. And you know, society has evolved to support this. Over thousands of years, philosophy has changed, hasn't it? Eastern and Western philosophy has evolved and changed. And at some point, human philosophy realized, look, we don't like authoritative information. We don't like the idea of having to submit to truths. And so what we will do is we will write and we will address culturally the issue of relativism and pluralism so that every person can have a personal truth and not have to adhere to an absolute truth yeah this is like a lot of apologetics this morning and I'm not trying I, I, I want you to understand that our world right now maybe more than ever is in direct opposition to the idea of absolute truths The world is inviting you to invent your own Christianity. See, truth is at a premium. Even in the church, we've lost touch with truth. I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, Linda Thomas posted an article on the Facebook page this week. Did you guys see that? I had one of those edgy titles, like like why we should quit church or something. So some of you might have read it because you're like, what? Um, but I read it. It was a good article. And in the article, it said that only 39% of active believers consider the Bible as a literal word of God. Yeah? Less than 20% of professing believers follow the biblical principle of giving. Only 5% have ever shared their faith with a non-believer. More than half of all church members attend church once a month or less. Truth is at a premium. There's a void 
in the hearts and the lives of Christians today. Why? Because churches are concerned about numbers and outcomes. Churches de-emphasize truth to make Christianity more palatable for their congregants. Churches seek the, the fruits of truth. You know, churches want community, they want unity, and they want purpose. All churches want that. But they're trying to circumvent truth to get it. When the Bible teaches that that living and yielding yourself to the Word of God actually produces the fruits of the Spirit. I don't know if you've ever read Galatians chapter 5. But you can't bypass God's Word to get the things that you want. The universal church itself has grown weak. The general growth of secularism and worldly behavior in the church would give Paul a field day. He would be writing and chastising and rebuking all day long. He'd have so much work to do. Now wait a second. No wait. He left us with the truth so that we could do it ourselves. We should be correcting false teaching. We should be leaning more wholly into God's Word. We should be learning to study to show ourselves approved. So what do we do in a culture so opposed to the simple truths of our faith? What do we do when we come in contact with people who are, tr- who are twisting and recontextualizing God's Word? In the early church, Paul saw problems with mistruths and addressed them openly in his letters. Almost every single letter that Paul writes contains a warning against mistruths sneaking into the church. Almost every single letter. In Galatia, it was Judaizers. Right? Have you ever read Galatians and, and, and seen how like, angry Paul is when he writes that? He's not pleased. And he's attacking false teachers. Almost every one of the Pauline epistles has an explicit warning. And the same thing is true here in the letter to the Romans. Here he gives us some advice. He gives us some advice. So let's turn to Romans 16, verse 17. Okay? Romans 16, 17 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So, let's look at these words. He uses the word divisions, which means dissension or discord. Okay, there are people that are teaching with the intent that they sow divisions. Oh no, not here at MBT. Oh no, yes, here at MBT. And, and not just at MBT, but everywhere that you go. Everywhere that you go. Some of them are doing it knowingly. Some of them are doing it unknowingly. Either way, it's problematic. The word offenses means stumbling block. Or something that causes people to fall. False teachers betray themselves, though, by seeking to divide. They're easy to spot because they're always isolating people, pulling them aside and trying to convince individuals that they have a better way or a better understanding. False teachers betray themselves because they serve their own belly. And what that means is they're self-centered. They like to be heard. They like to present enticing words and fair speech to deceive the weak. 
rather than use the simplicity of Scripture to strengthen the weak. And I'll give you an example. Uh, this week, uh, someone that I know um, on Facebook did a Facebook video. And by the way, are Facebook videos almost always just bad? I don't know if I've ever watched one and come away like, I'm very encouraged by this. <laughs> but, so, uh, so on Facebook, he, he, pre- he preached a message in front of his laptop. It was 20 minutes of him preaching. And, uh, and I got curious because what he was saying was crazy. You're not laughing. Yeah, that's good because it was crazy. <laughs> and uh, it was it was so far from truth that I, I began. I, uh, you know, teachers are clever. We know we, when something sounds like cheating, right? I learned this being a high school teacher. I know when something sounds like cheating. So I took a phrase from what he was saying and I put it into Google. And come to find out, his entire message was just regurgitating a Wikipedia page. <laughs> Now listen to me. He was presenting the content as though it was something he, he, it was a truth that he had received from God. Now these things come in all different packages, right? But what it generally looks like is someone saying something that's contradictory to what you know to be true about Scripture. If it, like, like maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't. Maybe you aren't well versed yet. Maybe you're just a new disciple of Jesus Christ, and you're just learning the basic truths of Scripture. That's totally cool. That's fine. But my point to you is this: If something sounds strange, investigate it. God's word is right there. What does Paul say? Paul's prescription is to mark them. Now these are like really heavy words, right? Really heavy words. Mark them. Right? It makes me think of like a branding iron. Like we sort of hold them down and... No, no, no. Mark them means to identify them. Identify them. Then he says to avoid them, avert them. If you hear teaching that seems contradictory to, contradictory to Scripture and you have questions, bring them to your discipler. Bring it to your Bible study leader. Bring it to your pastor. Sit down with me. Let's do coffee. Let's talk. But let's, let's come together in agreement on what the Bible teaches in its simplicity. You know, one of the things that Sam always said, used to say, I haven't heard him say it for a while, but he used to always say, uh, if it's new, it probably ain't true. If it's new, it probably ain't true. And he says ain't because he's from the South. Okay? I say ain't because it sounds like street. And I like to feel... Street. <laughs> what? Chance what? Okay. But if it's true, if it's if it's new, it probably ain't true. Is a good way of thinking about things. It, you know, the amazing thing about this is, at some point, uh, Mormonism was just someone saying something new. In fact, looking into a hat, I don't know if you know the story, but looking into a hat and saying, oh, here's something new. I don't know if you know that or not. Yeah, all of Joseph Smith's prophecies uh, came by way of golden tablets that he found, okay, and a hat that he looked into, okay, that gave him mysterious truths from beyond. Okay, uh, at some point that was new, but now it's one of the biggest religions in the world. 
I don't know what to tell you about that, except for the fact that we need to avoid and mark things that sound contradictory to Scripture. And let me point this out to you too. Lots of different faith systems and religious systems have lots of different Jesuses. Have you noticed that? Like, like don't let anybody tell you that the Jehovah's Witness Jesus is the same Jesus as your Jesus. It's not. It's another person with the name of Jesus attached to him. The, Mor- the Mormon Jesus is brothers with Lucifer. They're brothers. They're siblings. Well, that's not in my Bible. You understand? So a lot of times it's an issue of people just misdefining who Jesus is. Now let me get back to our original point. If you don't know the basic doctrines of the Word of God, then you could easily fall prey to mistruths. And in fact, you could invent your own. People have been doing it for a really long time. Now let me explain something to you. In this pulpit, and in the other MBT pulpits, we will focus on the simplicity of doctrine. There will never be a shyness or an apologetic tone when addressing heretical teaching. Is that okay with you? You know, if it's a, it's a, if it's a false soteriology that says that God determined before time who would and would not be saved, then it's a a defrauding of the plainness of Scripture and the Gospel itself. And it must be addressed. And I'm going to address it when Scripture tells me to. If it's a, a false exegesis of the sign gifts and it promotes experience as authority over the Word of God, over the plainness of Scripture, then it will be addressed. If it's a false religion emphasizing works of men over the grace of God, then it will be addressed. If it alters the personage of Jesus Christ in any way in the simplicity of the gospel, it will be addressed. And I can't apologize for that. Why? Not not because uh, of my own personal righteousness. Because it's, but because I'm just foolish enough to believe that this book is God speaking to me. That's why. We will not and cannot apologize for... for To apologize would be to apologize for God's very words. And I won't do that. I won't do that. Key point number four. Preferring scripture over human opinion will make us defenders of truth and protectors of people. You want to lead people, you want to disciple people, you want to invest in people, you want to build people up, you want to create true community, you want to make effective ministry. You have to prefer the scripture over human opinion. You have to prefer the Bible over a book by your favorite commentator. Do you hear me? Yes. You have to prefer the Bible over the opinions of your friend and the counsels of human beings. In doing so, we will become defenders of truth and protectors of those that God has given us to oversee and shepherd. You know, sadly, the work of opposing heresy is not really for the average Christian. 
I wish I could say that that was true. That every Christian had the strength and the ability to oppose heresy. But for the average Christian, because the average Christian does not know how to compare Scripture with Scripture, what they hear and read can easily sway them. Christianity, Christianity as a whole is weak and susceptible to mistruths because Christianity as a whole doesn't know what the Bible says. You know, one of the things I like, I sometimes say when talking about Christianity is do you think Christianity, particularly in the West, has grown stronger over the last hundred years or weaker? And obviously, you look at the state of our society, the discord, the dissension, the hatred, the guile, the approval of sin, and we would all, anybody that that is a Christian would say, look, Christianity has not gotten stronger in the West, it's grown weaker. Atheism is on the rise. It's not, it's not hard to, to make that assessment. But it's of no coincidence that the Word of God started getting tampered with heavily about a hundred years ago. And men's opinion about the Bible became more important than the Bible itself. Verse 19 says, For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. Speaking of the Romans. I am glad therefore on your behalf... But here, here, listen, check this out. But yet, here's the warning. I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Be wise in that which is good. That which is good is the doctrine. That which is good is the Word of God. That which is good is the simple teaching of God's Word. And then have a simple, childlike understanding of evil. When my kids watch a scary movie... They react a particular way. They grow squeamish. And they bury their head in the shoulder of the one that they believe will protect them, which is usually me or Eva. Now, for those of us who are growing in our faith, we need the same response. We need to grow wise in that which is good, but we also need to be simple concerning that which is evil. And when we know that something that seems contradictory or presents itself as an evil truth or a mistruth, then we need to be quick to bury our head in the shoulder of God's Word. We have to be set apart. We must be true disciples of Christ by following hard after the truth that He gave us and, ex- and has extended to us. Matthew 28:18. Matthew 28:18. You guys know what this is? This is the passage that we refer to as the great commission. Some of you are familiar with this. This is where Jesus Christ calls his disciples to something very specific, a very specific purpose that he promises to be with them in. It's so great. Our whole lives as Christians should be built uh, upon fulfilling this. But listen to what he says. Matthew 20:18 and Jesus came and spake unto them saying all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth and because of that go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost so the command is to teach them now what we'll teach them what 
Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I, Jesus Christ, have commanded you, the apostles, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Jesus' command to the apostles was, take the things that I've taught you and teach them to the church that they might grow and live this commission as well. Now, if we take that serious, then what we have to recognize is that what's been handed down to us from the apostles is this book. This is the book. Okay? And in this book is the most complex things and the most important truths that I need to know to live and to get by as a Christian in life. And when we hear people tampering with them, we cannot stand for it. And I'll just be honest with you. Um, in the high school ministry, this was less of a concern. When I was a high school pastor, um, I was just trying to get the high, a lot of those high school students uh, just to attend regularly, uh, commit to a loving mentorship relationship, basic, basic things. In college ministry, people start to think that they're really smart. And I've noticed a lot of people that have come into this ministry and tried to isolate younger believers and teach them false things. I've just seen it. And I've had to address it. But listen to me. The more we teach the Word of God, the less room there is for such things. Those types of people will be crowded out naturally. They will know that this is not a fertile ground for them to sow their weird perspective, their twisting of God's Word, their their bad exegesis, their poor principles of theological dissection. There will be no room for that. Because everyone in this ministry will know how to defend the words of God. And that's where we want to be, right? Now, here's the call to you. This is the conclusion, and this is the call. This is the invitation. If you know that you need to grow further in your knowledge of God's Word, and there's a decision that needs to be made to do that, maybe you need to get discipled. Maybe your next step is to get into a discipleship relationship. Maybe your next step is to take D2. Maybe your next step is to join the Bible Institute. Maybe your next step is just to grow in your accountability. Maybe your next step is to join a Bible study. Maybe your next step is just to stop having excuses about why you can't be here on Sundays. But whatever that is, let's deal with that today. Do not put your desires over God's desire for you. Do not do that. So grapple with that now as we pray. I'll have some leaders up here during the invitation. If you know you need to deal with something. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you'd like to know what it means to know Jesus, then I invite you to come up as well. Uh, So worship team, we'll pray and uh, close in worship.